the way I feel about all of this, I'd rather be hated for who God made me than be loved for what God didn't make me. Welcome to the National Podcast of Texas. I'm Andy Langer. This is a special and unusual episode, befitting a special and unusual Texas music icon, the Ghetto Boys Bushwick Bill. Sunday morning, major news outlets reported that the three-foot, eight-inch Houston MC and bona fide hip-hop pioneer had succumbed to stage four pancreatic cancer, a diagnosis that was only made public a month or so ago. Tributes rolled in from the Ghetto Boys Scarface to Bun B, but then TMZ reported his family was insisting he was alive, but in the hospital fighting for his life. Later in the evening, the family announced that Bushwick Bill had indeed passed. The confusion somehow seemed right, though, given the chaotic nature of Bushwick Bill's life. He battled addiction and the law, wrote some of rap's goriest and most reprehensible verses ever, battled censors, found Christ in sobriety, fell off the wagon, faced deportation, and yet has long been almost universally celebrated for his sense of humor, on record, on stage, and off stage. In 2013, he came to Austin for a Ghetto Boys show and stuck around a few months after, setting up shop at Austin's legendary Arlen Studios to record a live band reinterpretation of his 2009 gospel album, My Testimony of Redemption. Bill was born again in 2006 and deep into his Christian rap phase in Austin. The Austin Chronicle reported that the resulting album, which was never released, used new versions of only two tracks from the gospel album and featured three other solo remakes, a Ghetto Boys tune, and five new originals. It was at one of those Arlen sessions, February 20th, 2013, that I sat with him for what we hoped would be a Texas Monthly profile, mostly focused on the new record. And mostly because the record was never released, we never used the interview. It's gone entirely unheard until now. In the room, at his insistence, are some of Austin's best musicians, including drummer J.J. Johnson, B3 player Mike Flanagan, and guitar player Zach Ernst, though they just listen to the interview. They never wind up speaking. And while it starts with a rambling roll call of names and places, the story of what brought him to town, stick with it. Before long, it quickly shifts into chunks of his life story, the good, the bad, and the ugly, much of which appears is available nowhere else in his own words. If you're easily offended by language or by subject matter, this one may not be for you. But from the lengthy explanation of how he squared the Ghetto Boys tracks that made him famous with his relationship to God, to the way he dealt with his demons, to his guess on what might be his legacy, there's a lot here. Some of it's bonkers. A lot of it's profound. This is Bushwick Bill, recorded in Austin, Texas, February 20th, 2013. You just stayed in town after this Ghetto Boys thing. Uh, yes. Um, pardon me. Yeah, yeah. I just stayed in town after the Ghetto Boy thing, and then I, um, an artist asked me to do a song with him, so I went by this home studio, and I was like, I can't rap here because it ain't going to sound right, but I could, I could rap without you recording me and show you what I can do to the beat. They all agreed they was ready to pay me, and then the other dude sitting next to him was like, I know this dude named, named Tom, and I'm like, and his name is Chris, the dude's name is Chris. He's like, I know this dude named Tommy, he's got this studio, and it's called Arlen Studio. I'm like, I don't know. I mean, if it's another home studio, it's like, no, it's a professional studio. I'm like, everybody tell me that, then bring me to a home studio. But from I stepped in this studio and started rapping, it just ain't changed. 
Then they brought me to um, Continental Club to hear Barfield, but Young Flanagan wasn't there that day because he was um, he was not feeling good. He was under the weather, so it was me, Matt, and um, Scott, and I forgot the other dude's name that was up there, but Zach. And Zach, yes. Oh, how could I forget Zach? All right, yeah, it was me, Matt, Scott, and Zach, and we were just having fun, and I, and I decided to jump up there and say a song. And then after we heard what we did, because people rushed the stage and started listening that was sitting down, left their drinks, we decided we should record something. And the first song we did is called um, Taking It Back, which I got to play for you so you can hear. And it's like, from that song, everything you're hearing going on right now spawned from me meeting Tom Murphy, coming to Arlen studio, meet, meeting Will and, and Jacob, and then going and seeing Barfield, even though Flanagan wasn't there, but then doing such a hot song that when Flanagan came and did his part, it's even hotter than I could imagine. But this whole thing has been a trickle-down theory. It's like I was led to the promised land of milk and honey, and I'm yet to be hungry and unsatisfied. I mean, ultimately, did you even know you were going to, you didn't know you were going to make a record? No, I just you planned on making were... some money and going home. <laughs> I was like, oh, some extra chips, no problem. How much experience do you have playing with live bands? None. None. This is all raw, rare, real, rugged, rough, and original. <laughs> I mean, even even JJ here, I mean, he's played with so many great musicians like the rest of these guys. Have, and it's like, I saw him the other day, and, and then we invited him over to, and it's like, the way God is orchestrating this thing, man, it's like I could never have planned this. I could never have sat down and said, I want to work with this person, that person, the other person. It's going to sound like this, that, and the third. I'm used to process music. I'm working with people whose heart is behind the music. So I'm feeling what they're feeling, and then they're feeling what I'm feeling. Like if my voice changes, they flow with me. It's like... Man, I'm telling you, if this is what heaven is like when God does his orchestra thing and the angels do theirs, then I could tell you this is my first experience of heaven on earth. It just happened to be at All In Studios in Austin, Texas. <laughs> what can I say? Um, yeah. I mean, you've made the Christian-leaning record before. Yes. Is that what this is, too? Yes. What this is is a live version of some of those songs and some unheard of songs. Okay. In the... In the Christian rap era, where it's certain songs that I really like, and then I did that album. I never got paid off of the album, you know what I mean? No disrespect to God or Christians, but I don't judge his people, that's up to him, but for some reason I worked with Christians and the music went out and I never got paid, but that don't mean Christians are bad people, it just means that we all need God. I mean, that's the way I look at it. And God must have known why he did what he did, because me even rapping with the Ghetto Boys, just to backtrack for a second, it's like, I had just left Bible school. I was preparing to go to India. I did all my training for two years to go to India to build irrigation systems, schools, and indoor plumbing, and to just help people. That's all I wanted to do. Came to Texas, met DJ Ready Red and DJ Lonnie Mack. Next thing I know, they introduced me to Lil J after I'm working at the um, Club Thunderdome, and then He's like, Bill, I need you to be a part of the Ghetto Boys. I'm like, but what is it I'm supposed to do? He's like, man, the way you dance at the club and people just stop and clear the floor and let you do your break dancing, locking, popping, whatever it is you're doing. I've seen all this in movies, but we need that for the image of the group to somebody to help draw people into them. And next thing I know, I found out my missionary work was being here in the United States, becoming a rapper, 
fall into all the traps that any musician could possibly fall into, I fell into it. But I bounced back and God helped me maintain. So now I could talk to any one of them and be like, you, you could make it through this. You know what I mean? So that's my missionary work was to go through all of that fame of being the notorious ghetto boy, Bushwick Bill, sexist, racist, indecent, Bob Dole, Dolores Tucker, Tipper Gore. You read all the interviews. You already know what they said about me. Because of me, they put parental advisory stickers on the album, and here I am doing gospel. Who could have told me this then? But you went from the ministry then to singing about dismembering women. And then... Right back to where I was originally from. Right. And that is ironic to me, because I could never have predicted that. I thought once I was rapping that way, I'm like, okay, God is already not with me no more. I mean, I got to just go this way. I'm feeding my family. But I'm so miserable. I mean, I'm around thousands of people, man. I'm lonely. I mean, I can't even describe that feeling. It's like I get off stage and I'm walking. Everybody's taking my hat off. Can you please just give me a hat? Can I get your shirt? And I'm like, here, you can have my shirt. It's like, can you buy me a drink? I'm like, here, buy everybody a drink. It's like, like nothing really bothered me. But I never felt comfortable or a real connection to them until I kept living that life to the point to where I lost my eye. Then I was pronounced dead. I mean, you could check it out in um, Bentop Hospital. I was pronounced dead for four hours and, and I think 45 minutes. And I was in the morgue when they were tagging my toe and pushing me in, I came too. But I was legally dead on arrival to the hospital. Right? And then I had a surgery. They said I wouldn't survive. Right? Tupac did the seven-day theory, but I got shot, pronounced dead, got in surgery, was out on the seventh day. I can't tell you about that. I can't tell you what it means. I can't tell you Bushwick Bill is great. I can just say God is able and I'm here. There's a petition online. If you go to, and I think it's at actuallybushwickbill.com. Somebody stole your domain. And there's a petition there that says, we want the old Bushwick Bill back. We looked at that shit a few weeks yeah, ago. Yeah, you showed I it mean, to me. Uh, wow. What is, I mean, what does that say to you? I mean, are people willing to sort of embrace the wholesome Christian Bushwick Bill? I can't really say that I'm so wholesome because, <laughs> I, mean, I mean, being wholesome is like being holy, and I'm really trying to be holy. You know what I mean? But... If people think that I can't rap like what they heard on Ghetto Boys, they haven't read Deuteronomy 28. Because Deuteronomy 28 talk about, you will be so cursed that your woman will bear a child and eat it in secret and not share it with you. Now, what if I rap that? It's in the Bible? That's some horrorcore, man. <laughs> no, it's godly. It's blessing and cursing. Now, does the cursing sound like a Ghetto Boys song? Does the blessing sound too friendly? Well, I think I'd rather be blessed than cursed. And I think I could say more verses that's worse. I mean, but I'd rather, I'd rather do whatever God has in my heart because I've been there, done that. I was born. I died. I lived. I think I need to grow beyond the moment. And if people can't accept me growing beyond the moment, then it's kind of like what the Bible said, don't cast your pearls before swines. You know what I mean? So he who has ears, like it says in, in, in the New Testament, he who has ears, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Last time I checked, the church is everybody in this room, because other than that, it's just a building. So therefore, if God allows me to speak, and like he said about the parable of the sower, right? He said, some seeds fall on good ground, some fall on, on solid soil, some fall on the rocks where the cares of this world choked it. So therefore, if the cares of this world would not allow them to hear what God has put on my heart, but they'd rather me keep reminding them of all the things that are going wrong instead of showing them a way out, 
then that's between them and their maker. But I'm going to continue to follow what God needs me to do because my life has been so messed up. It's like I had kids I couldn't see for a while because I was unstable to be around them. And I had my mother and father that wouldn't even open the door for me unless I wasn't drinking. It's like I had family members that saw the album cover, nieces and nephews saw my eye that would just scream and be like, oh, it's Uncle Billy, get him away from me. So it's like, I mean... I had to deal with all of that. I'm platinum, but my own family can't look at me because of the album cover. I'm platinum, but I feel I'm better than the love that my mom and dad has for me. I feel I'm better than everybody. I felt like I was a demigod, so to speak. It's like, I felt like, who could touch me? What is this? I am that person. You know what I mean? For whatever it's worth. And I just kept living according to the lyrics I rap because everybody was like, you're so much nicer than the Chucky song. You're like really different. So are you really real? I'm like, yeah, I'm real. I rap the song because I listen to Edgar Allan Poe and I, I like Orson Welles. And I believe that if you could make your voice, make people believe that War of the Worlds is the end of the world, then you're a true entertainer. And the other night you were doing both the new Christian stuff and the Ghetto Boy stuff. The reason why I did that, because I really just wanted to give them my spiritual, but when I heard the people requesting certain songs, I gave it to them to, to please them. And to be honest with you, after I did all of that and got off stage, it's like when it came to rapping gospel on certain songs, I asked for the beat to stop. But what really affected me spiritually is that after I did all of those cursing songs and got off stage, it's like my spirit started talking to me and it was like, you remember Moses? And I'm like, okay, why am I thinking about Moses right now? You remember why he couldn't go into the promised land? I'm like, why couldn't he go into the promised land? Because he listened to the people and didn't listen to God. So he wasn't able to go to the promised land. So God even told me, yeah, you did a good show, but you listened to the people. Mm -hmm. I gave you a format and a place to shed my music to the lost so that someone could be found. It was just one person in the audience. But I decided to give in to what the people wanted and go against what was spiritually a part of me. So even though you heard that show, you will only hear the radio versions of those songs. Because I will rap them again, don't get me wrong, to, to let people hear the good, the bad, and the ugly. Because it's like Michael Jackson. He rapped with the Jackson 5 and he said, that was the old, but this is the new, when he busted out with Billie Jean. That's what God wants me to do. Let you hear what you believe I'm about but now see where I'm at. I'm at a comfortable place, a tranquil place, a place where I don't need cocaine, I don't need acid, I don't need mushrooms, LSD, I'm not popping quaaludes, uppers, downers, I'm not going to the hospital because my body's confused between being awake, being sleepy, being a, yeah. And then I'm like, okay, am I gonna be all right now? It's like, what did you do? It seems like you injected the cocaine. I'm like, no, I ate it. Because my nose can take it no more. So I went, ah. Oh. And, and next thing I know, I just felt a bubble. And then the energy was. And next thing I know, my heart started feeling like. My body started feeling like. And then my mind started feeling like. And then I went to my brother. And I was like, Chris, I know I don't listen to you much. And you're my older brother. And, and, and I always did my own thing. But you know something about this. Because you almost had a heart attack. And I feel like I'm about to die. And I walked out of the hotel before I saw my brother, the backtrack, right? I walked out of the hotel. It was the Hyatt off of 59. I walked out of it. I was supposed to go with, with the people that was around me, but I kept looking at them, and I kept seeing other things other than these people. I'm like, whoa. 
something is not right right now. Either I have spiritual eyes or I'm imagining these people being demons and devils. Wow. And they was like, get in the car. I'm like, hold up. Who telling me to get in the car, yo? <laughs> They're like, Bill, don't do that. I'm like, do what? It's like you're walking into the street. I'm like, yeah, get further away from y'all. So I walked up the ramp, got on the highway, and was walking. Heart beating, body feeling like I'm about to pass out. I walked from Fannin all the way close to Belfort. So before I got close to there, police officer pulled over. I'm like, oh, God. Please do not let this happen right now. I do not need to be prohibited, detained, or anything else that comes with being contained against my will. And I looked at the officer, hey. <laughs> He's like, Bill. I'm like, you know me? He's like, come on, man, you're a ghetto boy. I know you. He's like, can I ask you a question? What are you doing walking on the highway? I'm like, um, some things happened in a hotel, and I didn't feel right. So I decided to get away from the people. He's like, you know I could lock you up right now. I'm like, it'll be nice if you didn't. He's like, yo, just get in the back seat anyway. I'm like, okay, I won't resist the rest, so that could be one less charge. <laughs> and I got in the car, and he's like, Bill, you know God loves you, right? I'm like, I know God loves me. That's what got me away from those people. He's like, no, God really loves you, because I should be locking you up right now. Now, where do you need me to take you? Because I know you need to be somewhere to make you feel better. I'm like... How do you know that? He's like, tell me where you need to go. I was like, my brother works at the Arena Towers. He's an accountant up in there doing something. Can you just take me there and ask for Christopher Shaw? Please, I'm telling you, just, if you could do that for me, I'll be happy because I don't know what's going on. My body's confused. He's like, okay, no problem, I'll take you there. He took me there, he went and found my brother. My brother's like, Bill, and I'm standing there like this, like, eyes rolling in my head, and I'm like, body confused. I'm like, he's like, Bill, something ain't right. You need a doctor? I'm like, yes. He's like, you need to go to the hospital? I'm like, yes. He's like, what's wrong? I did so much different kinds of drugs, my body don't know which way to go. I got to the hospital. The doctor said, by the way, um, how are you feeling? I'm like, not too good. Well, personally, according to your heart rate and the, the blood vessels that burst in your body, um, you should be dead right now. I'm like, dead? You telling me I'm dying? I'm like, not again. It's like, it's like, tell me something else, please. Tell me I'm growing an extra member or something. <laughs> tell me I've been abducted by aliens and this is just a rare momentary lapse of reason. He's like, no, I'm gonna call another expert in. I'm like, so what y'all gonna do? He's like, we don't know if we can save you, but we are gonna try. They put me under, flushed my system, and they said everything repaired itself. Now go figure that out. That was how long ago? That was in 2000, and it was in the month of November, a week after Thanksgiving. All right, so that's like 10 or 12 years ago. Yes. And you like, find, this time you find you're born again when? Now I find my stability in being born again way. It's like, it's one thing to be born again. It's another thing to have stability in being born again. Like, I talk myself out of doing the wrong things. You know what I'm saying? It's like the other day somebody said something to me and I was like, I smiled and then they just kept going with it. And I just, and it was with face and will. I was with them at the show. And they're telling me they didn't make no money. And then I'm hearing everybody saying that it was $35 at the door. I'm like, okay, so why am I only getting $1,300? But anyway, <laughs> so I was ready to act the donkey. You know what I mean? Be stubborn as stubborn could be and just lose it and... God was like, Bill, 
don't worry about it, man. I mean, look at these people. They're out there. They saw a Ghetto Boy show. But you have hidden jewels that you could hand them. That's all you from me. And I'll make it all possible. But the interesting part about this whole thing is that in 1998, my mom had a vision. And she called me. And she was like, Bill, I have something to tell you. I'm like, did I do something wrong? Did somebody tell you I did something in the street? She's like, no. Honestly, I haven't heard nothing bad about you lately. I'm like, so what is this about? She's like... I woke up after dreaming that God told me that to tell you that if you thought Mind Playing Tricks was the biggest song that you could do, wait till they hear what you're going to do for me. It's going to do bigger than that because lives are going to be saved. Souls are going to be one. People are going to be redeemed from things that are ailing them or that could affect them. I'm like, but I don't rap gospel. I mean, where is this coming from? I'm like, I'm like, you serious? She's like, God told me you're going to rap gospel. So this is not something I didn't hear about. It was something I fought against. Because I didn't believe being a ghetto boy could make me a gospel rapper. I didn't believe doing all the things I've done, being as wrong as I've been, could make me good enough to even say what God wanted me to say. So it's not like I didn't know. It was, it was prophesied in 98. But here's the manifestation years later of that truth. So just because God prophesied doesn't mean that it's going to happen in the moment you think, but it's all in his timing. And, it, I mean, it's got to stick, ultimately. Because you've done to. it a couple times where it has. It, it has to, because when I did the first album, I worked with Christians, like I told you, and, you know, everything started going sideways. I didn't really understand it. It's like the devil came in and just started bringing everybody's weaknesses to the front lines. And it's like... While I called myself working on a gospel album, I wanted to be drunk. When I got in the studio, I couldn't even rap. I was slurring everything. Then I would get miserable and I would smoke weed and then I would get miserable again and then I'd be like, I'm not rapping nothing. Then I'll go home and kick holes in the walls and try to crash the car on the freeway and all kinds of stuff. I just wasn't spiritually prepared for the battle of doing God's will. And that's what most people have to understand. It's not about what I know or how I feel, it's military, it's boot camp, it's preparation, it's going out into the field and being prepared for what's coming at you. But you can't live a life wallowing in sin, try to regurgitate the good things you believe you know about God and not get into the scripture and make those words of life a part of your life. Because God never said you'd be perfect. He said, matter of fact, at the, ends of, at the end of um, 1 Corinthians 13, it states, But now I see in part, for, for I know in part. But then I will know fully as I'm fully known. So now I'm becoming fully as I'm fully known. Because then I only knew in part and saw in part. I knew what I wanted to do, <clears throat> but I was playing a part, not living it. Even though Shakespeare said it before. He said, all the world's a stage and all the people are merely players, each playing their own part, each have their own exit and entrance. I'm just beginning to find out my place. But you're still Bushwick Bill. I mean, you could change your name. You could, I mean, there's a way to do this and be part two or phase two or whatever. But, I'm listening. But is it, I mean, it's, it's going to be easier to sell this to get people to hear it if it's still Bushwick Bill, right? I mean, is that the thinking? Not necessarily the truth. Um, what my perception of thing was is that being Bushwick Bill was more like being Chuckwick Bill. Because once I took on the persona of Chucky, I just became this short person that wasn't afraid to die and was scared to live. Because to live means 
I know better. I mean, who graduates Bible school at the top of his class and is helping other people that was there before him and then come out doing Chucky and mind of a lunatic talking about killing kids and killing women and raping women and dismembering people and then all of a sudden want to do right but then have a struggle between what people believe that I'm for real about this because they believed I raped and killed and I never killed. I mean, I've met people with tattooed Bushwick Bill and they're like, you know how they call me Bushwick Bill in my hood? I'm like, no. Man, because I've killed as much people as you have on your record. I'm like, okay. Um, I never did that. I've never committed murder. <laughs> so I don't even know what that feels like. I don't even know what it, I know what it looks like because I grew up in Brooklyn and on my way to school, going to PS 106, there was a body dismembered. There was a leg at the front of the gate. There was middle torso up a little further feet away. There was an arm this way, arm that way, a head there. And I mean, I saw this as a kid. When crack hit, I saw more dead things happening than the average person could see in a Schwarzenegger movie. Or, you know, Wes Craven for that matter. And it's like, the truth of the matter is, is that if, if they're not willing to accept what God has to offer them, the choice is theirs. I mean, in the book of Joshua, if I'm not mistaken, it's, it's either Joshua 30 or 31, where he said, choose thee this day whom you may serve. Choose life or death. You know what I'm saying? So it's either I'm going to choose life or I'm going to choose death. It's either, it's either I'm going to continue to be a part of the problem or I'm going to try to be somewhat of a solution. Amy, you, you a few minutes ago in there said that the song you were cutting, you believe those words were delivered to you. Definitely. Because everything I think of is completely negative on my own. <laughs> and I wouldn't lie to anybody about it. It's like, I'm just so into the gore thing because I was fascinated by all the things that you could possibly imagine and then speak it in a way where it's so descriptive that you could visualize it. Now, take all of that and bring it into speaking life and not death. I bring the whole thing to now I'm speaking life. Then I was speaking death, dissension, strife, hypocrisy, idiosyncrasies, and all the other ills of life that go with being sick mentally and spiritually, for that matter. So if there wasn't some kind of divine intervention lyrically, you would you, never be hearing any of this. You would still be doing that stuff. You would never hear any of this, ever. Because I would have thought that's the best I could do. I wouldn't have seen a different light. I wouldn't have seen a different way. I didn't know another way. I would have not rapped at all. I'd rather be saved and go to India and do missionary work and leave rap in that whole genre alone instead of just allowing God to use me for what I already lived. I already lived the worst things you could possibly do. I mean, several times I could have OD'd and I'm still here and it was only me feeling it in my body, finding the right people that I could talk to to get me where I need to get to, you know what I mean? So the whole thing about me being alive, man, it's, it's all by the grace of God. If anybody tell you I'm alive because I'm a great person, they lied. Do you think about legacy? Do you think where you stand in hip-hop history and where the ghetto boys stand, what that all means now? Well, as far as history go and ghetto boys, I mean, it's still his story. As far as my story goes, it's a mystery until you hear the new album. All right. <laughs> I think we got it. 
But you're not quite finished yet. All right. Where am I not finished? Um, you didn't ask me how I feel about all of this. And I've just been answering questions, but the way I feel about all of this, I'd rather be hated for who God made me than be loved for what God didn't make me. So I'd rather be hated for who I am than love for what I'm not. Mm. God made me who I am, but I'm not mm. going to allow people to love me for what I'm not. I've been rapping lyrics and saying things that is truly not within me. It's something that I would never, ever act out or ever be a part of. So I've been living a lie this whole time, and finally that I'm living the truth. If nobody could accept it, they got to find their own truth to live in. But 98% of hip-hop is theater, is people acting some part. Not necessarily. The ones that are going to jail ain't acting at all. There are some people that came from the streets, <clears throat> found out they had talent, and went that way with the talent. But when confronted with the ills of the street, they only know how to react the way the streets would have them react, not the fact that I'm a rapper, I'm platinum, I shouldn't be doing this. It's like, nah, you tested my manhood, you tested my street knowledge, you, you tested who I am in these streets. If I don't handle this, then I can't walk these streets. It's like every rapper wants to go back to his neighborhood and get that same feel and same love that he got from the desires and stories that he put in that album. But when you go back to the neighborhood after doing that album, you are no longer that person to them. You are a celebrity. Something to be celebrated, just like Guru, rest in peace. When he went on tour, they went in his house and took everything in Brooklyn. Everything. <clears throat> ODB, when he was in Brooklyn going through a hallway, they robbed him and shot him. I mean, you, I've been fortunate enough to be able to go back to Bushwick, Brooklyn, walk down the same streets, stand on the same corners, talk to the few people that I know that's still alive. The hurtful part of all of this, you know, all of the attributes and accolades that go with such a thing called fame, is that I wish, I hope, I pray, that all of the people who ever told me, Bill, you're too smart to do anything that we're doing. You can hang with us, all that is cool, but don't be a part of what we're doing. Just stand here on the corner and tell me if something is going wrong. You know what I'm saying? And. I always wanted those bikes and those cars and those jewelries and they were like, Bill, it ain't for you. See, we got to pack a gun and, I mean, people look at you and they look at your size, but when I talk to you, I don't even realize how short you are. And these people are dead now. You know, even, even the um, statement I made in that Ghetto Boy album in 86 when I said, come on with it, Red ain't no future in your front. And the homie that told me that went to jail, came out, and he was like, Bill, I'm telling you, stay cool, man. Life will make you want to try some things, but in jail, people slicing you with razors, people trying to rape you, and you got to try to hurt people. And he's like, there ain't no future in your front, homie, and you got to understand this. Them bars is a front door. There ain't no future in your front because the door is in front of you. You can't go beyond that door once you cross that barrier. And I took that and turned it into a jewel of a statement for my life. And when I first got on the record, it was the first thing I said. Then I met MC Breed, rest in peace, and he was like, Bill, if you would have never said ain't no future in your front, I could have never wrote that song. So, I mean, it's like God placed me in positions where I help people even indirectly. He'd been rapping for years, never had a hit song. Heard me say one thing and had the biggest song of his whole damn career. It's like, what, how do you explain that? And then God allowed me to see him two weeks before he died and told him, you know what, I'm trying to live my life right. I'm trying to live for God. If I rap on this album with you, I'd like to say something about God. He's like, Bill. Whatever you want to say, you're Bushwick Bill. If people could accept anything that they heard from you, they got to accept what they hear from you. You know what I mean? Then he passed. You know what I'm saying? So I just, I just got to keep doing me.
But did God put you in prison? God almost deport you? Is all that part of the... It is. It is for real, because what you don't know is that if I wouldn't have got locked up all those eight times I did in two years, and the last time I got locked up was for six months and three weeks, I would have been dead already. I would have OD'd because I was jumping out of cars. I was testing the whole world, you know what I mean? I'd be in South Central, Compton, Watts. I'd be in D.C., in the roughest areas. I'd be in Philly. I'd be in Chicago. Whether they vice lord, disciples, four-corner hustlers, black peace stones, I'm right there in the thick of it where police is messing with me, hanging out on 31st and State. You know what I'm saying? Because I'm, I'm with the thick of the, the people that they got on profile. You know what I'm saying? And God took me away from that. And, and had me sit down to think. He did it several times, and each time I was just in there, a week I'm out, two weeks I'm out, a month I'm in, I'm out. One day I'm in, I'm out. I mean, it's the way it was happening. Then the one time I had to sit down, it was after two months of not doing shows, I did one show, made 2,500, did a feature for a song, made 1,500. Next thing I know, I'm back in Atlanta, and I got into an argument with, with my daughter's mom. I'm like, hey, I have to pee. And she's like, no, I'm peeing in the bathroom. And I was like, but you know I'm high. When I'm high, it's like, <clears throat> I don't think right. <clears throat> and she was like, well, why don't you go outside and pee? I was like, well, I'm not going to curse, but I said effort, right? And um, I stood up <laughs> and walked to the corner of the room, staring at her from the bathroom. I was like, I'm going to piss over all of this. And then she got up with a cigarette in her hand and burned me in the neck. And I'm like, ouch. <laughs> and she, she hit me, and I'm like, I'm not going to hit you back. What I'm going to do is I'm going to leave. And when she saw I was serious, she was like, Bill, no. I didn't mean to do all that. Just come back in the room, or you're going to go to jail. God spoke through her. I wouldn't listen. She told me five times before the police showed up, Bill, I understand. It was a moment. Let's get back in the room. You can't do drugs no more. We understand this, so I don't even know where you got it from, how you got it. Just throw it away. I threw it away. And she's like, get, come into the room. I'm like, no. Police showed up. I'm looking at them. He's like, what are you doing? I'm like, I paid for the room. Everything's OK. He's like, where's your ID? Oh, I don't have it on me right now. It's in the room. What room? Down there somewhere. Is that woman with you? Yes, she is. Is everything okay? I'm like, yeah. And he's like, what's that on the floor? I'm like, I don't know. And he picked it up and found some drugs. I had threw mines in the trash can. Just to show you how life works. I threw it away. I walked straight from the room to the trash can. It was right in front of me. I threw it in the dumpster. How there's drugs in a cigarette box that, I mean... And the man's like, it's yours. I'm like, but no, it's not. He's like, well, I'm taking you in for it. And next thing I know, I'm in the police car. I'm going down. And he's like, well, you know you're going to be arrested for drugs, right? Um, I really don't want to lock you up, but I have to lock you up because you won't say that it's yours. I'm like, I know what was mine, and I threw it away. Why should I say it's mine when it's not? If telling the truth going to get me locked up, then cool. I'm not going to lie and accept something that ain't mine. When I get there, I see the judge. They told me it was the worst judge I could ever see, that she is a hang judge. She's like, she don't care what you did. She looked at me, is this your first time in here? And I'm like, yes, ma'am, your honor. And she's like, okay, dismiss. And um, we don't deal with that in this court, so you're going to have to deal with another court if they want to pick it up.
you could go home, released on an ROR. I did one of those cool moves, like, yes, ready to walk this way. And there was the INS guy with the ice badge. Excuse me, sir. Um, we have to detain you because you're an illegal immigrant. I'm like, I know I've been wrong, but being an illegal immigrant, I came here at five years old. My mom and dad became a citizen before I was 18. According to y'all papers, that makes me a citizen. Well, we don't know all that. I'm like, how could you not know your own law? You feel me? But then again, I was still pretty there in my brain. So it's like, I could have been wrong when I said it, but when I was in INS and read in the law library for two months straight, I knew everything from moral turpitude on down. You know what I'm saying? So that's what they charged me with, was moral turpitude. So, And the case of the drug thing got dropped somehow. And then I'm being faced with deportation. And I was angry at first. And then all of a sudden, I calmed down. People wanted to fight me in there. I was ready to fight. Anybody wanted to fight. But to start from a little bit before then, when they first put me in there, they said, for my own protection, they have to put me in PC. I'm like, I'm not a PC kind of dude. I don't need protective custody. I can handle me. They put me in the insane place underneath ACDC. I'm like, the dude next door to me is screaming all night, all day. I'm down there for four days, right? So for the first two days, that's all this dude did. They only let you out for one hour. You're locked in for 23. Driving me crazy. Couldn't deal with it, claustrophobic. Like, whoa. So it's like, dang. So I started praying. I'm like, God, man, I know I messed up. Whatever become of this, I mean, do what you need to do because I already did everything wrong. There's really nothing I could say to excuse my actions. I was told to go back into the hotel. It had to have been you because I stayed out and look where I'm at. And then I said, how could you help me get out of here? And then he told me, just talk to the officer. I was like, I tried that yesterday. And he told me, because I think I'm Bushwickville, I need privileges. I'm like, I didn't say that. He's like, just ask the officer. I'm like, officer. He's like, <clears throat> we don't have to talk to you. No privileges for um, <clears throat> entertainers. We had T.I. down here, too, when he got locked up. It's, it's for your own best interest. I'm like, I don't know who could deal with this, but this ain't me. Can I speak to a supervised superior, anyone that has some form of authority over you? He went and got to do with the gold badge. He's like, you push your bill? I'm like, yeah. He's like, why are you down here? I'm like, they say for my own good. He's like, are you mentally capable? I'm like, yes. He's like, fill out this paperwork. I filled out the paperwork, and the next day he brought me upstairs. You know what I mean? But while I was there for them four days, I actually felt like I was going insane. I mean, there's a dude eating his own feces. There's other people taking their feces and, 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 and urinal and throwing it, throwing their urine and feces at the officer on their clothes and their face. I mean, I couldn't have that job, man, for real. You know what I mean? So they had to take the dude and strap him into some chains and put a mattress over him so he wouldn't bite himself or hurt himself. I mean, why was I there to begin with? But I saw some demons down there. I mean, those people were like not right spiritually. It had nothing to do with their mentality. I'm seeing their spirits and I'm like, get me out of here. I was like in hell for real. You know, so none of it was easy, but God had to put me through that because you can't get me in the back of a police car today to save my life. It would not happen. I'm not getting in nobody's trouble. I'd rather be in church. I'd rather be in schools. I'd rather go back to prison ministering. And um, there was four people that asked me to pray for them the whole six months and three weeks I was there. This one dude, 
they had some serious charges on him and told him he had to go back to um, the Congo. And it was my turn to do a sermon up, up in the um, prison, right? And I prayed about it, did, did the sermon, and dude asked me to pray for him. I prayed with him, and they were supposed to deport him the next day, and they came with the papers and said he could stay in the U.S. Now, man, there's another dude that um, had businesses, and his kids was about to be left behind and all that. I prayed with him, and he stayed. It was like everything just... God had me there for a purpose, and like those four people never had to leave the U.S. Everyone else who had to leave the U.S. said the sinner's prayer, and when they left, was rejoicing in God and reading their Bible, and I pray that they're still the same till today, but God had me there for a purpose and a reason, and I served that without even knowing or wanting to. You know what I mean? So I don't regret going there because it saved my life. I'd be lying to tell you that if that cop didn't show up, I probably would have went back in the garbage can and got everything out of it and got high. I wouldn't have thought to pick up a cigarette box because I don't pick stuff up off the floor. I'll go back for what I threw away. You know what I'm saying? And I would have probably been dead and not even be here right now because every time I ever decided to get high, and the reason why I even got high to begin with that day because everything was going good. Then I get a phone call. DJ Lonnie Mac is dead. I'm like, DJ Lonnie Mac is dead? I'm like, he's the one that introduced me to Ready Red, introduced me to Lil J that helped me to be a rapper. How did he die? Standing outside of a club. I'm like, what club? The club that he brought me to that he was DJing at? It's like, yeah. I was like, what happened? Like, the dude just came up and shot him six times and he died instantly. I was like, and it just blew my mind. It's like, I told him, just stay cool. I'm going to do some new music. I need you on the road with me. And it just, it just all came to me like, man, I mean, he's the one that gave Houston the whole DJ skill and... It just, the whole thing just didn't make sense. It's like this man was changing his life. He has 13 kids. He's been working three jobs. He stopped stealing and, 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 and jacking people and lying and doing anything else that he would do illegally. And he t tried to change his life and died before he could finish. And what the true connection with me and him is how I knew it was something real. When my mom moved to Houston, the first church she went to, the lady who became her friend happened to be Lonnie Mack's mom. Go figure that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, so, so yeah, so it, it all just bothered me the way the whole thing went down. It was like I really couldn't comprehend the whole thing. And it, it took me for a whirlwind that made me sit down in jail and, and make all of the things you're hearing now possible. So don't plan on me regurgitating ill will or living as a man with a sick mentality and enjoying a sick spirit. I'd rather fight the good fight and struggle with my own demons in trying to live right than just give up and do wrong because wrong is so easy. You know what I mean? Because not only do I have kids, but I'm also someone's child. And I would love for my mom and dad to be proud of me truly before they pass. I'd like for my kids to look at me and be like, even though he's short, he's been through this and that, but he's, he's a good man and he's doing something right. Maybe I can follow in his footsteps, but I wouldn't have advised it in the past. An Austin Chronicle feature from September of 2013 reported that the album Bushwick Bill made in Austin was ultimately titled Checks and Balances. Best we can tell, it was never released anywhere. Although there's video on YouTube of him performing some of that new material live on stage in Austin. Meanwhile, our June issue, it's out now. It features Where to Stay Now 2019, featuring the best new and improved hotels in Texas. We've also got much more online at texasmonthly.com, and we'd love it if you'd consider subscribing to our show, leaving a comment, or rating it wherever you found us, and maybe even telling a friend. I'm Andy Langer, 
working with producer Brian Standifer. Thanks for being here, and thanks in advance for coming back next week. <laughs>